0: Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at colomunda.church. Right, I don't think there could be too many of you who don't know my name, but I'm Luke. Hi. Oh, you're in for it now. Ah. Uh, Obviously, we were amongst friends who know how to get to me. (laughs) Did it though. I I would argue that point. I would argue that point. (laughs) Do we have, like, can I kick people out? (laughs) They're being mean to me. (laughs) The one who's, who's being mean is the one who says, oh, it's okay. <laughs> right. Well. Are you guys ready to hear the word of God? <laughs> I'm really now, I'm now. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're not here to condemn. <laughs> no. But God's got something special planned. We can already see it moving. He's moving. He's been moving long before we showed up. He was moving this morning. He was moving on Friday. And sometimes it's so easy to just think, oh, there's only a few of us. God can take the night off. God doesn't want to take the night off with our hearts. So I don't know what position you're in right now and what you came here to receive, but God's ready to give. And that's exciting. This message is called Willing to be Washed. And I'm going to be reading from John 13, verses 1 to 17, which is the passage in the Bible where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And can I get a quick show of hands if you've ever heard a sermon on this passage before? You don't? Interesting. Because I've probably heard like it's coming up on like half a dozen at this point. I mean, there's a lot of Bible to cover, but this one's this one's pretty common in in my understanding. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Well, then this is a first. Well, then <laughs> that's that's great. This can be the first one then. But I've I've heard it a few times, and. It was really interesting, because when God put this passage on my heart, the message that stuck out to me was not the message that I find is usually spoken on with this topic. Not to say, oh, Luke's special, um, or all the other pastors were wrong, because the message that I usually hear, and I'll get into what that is, is really important. And in fact, in the passage, Jesus literally says, hey, this is the message I am giving you. So it is important. But that's not what jumped out at me, and yeah, I just found it really interesting. And so if you have heard sermons on this topic before, be ready that it's going to be a little bit different, but that previous message that you might have heard is definitely no less important and is related to my message, but you'll, you'll see what happens, but we're going to get into it. So reading from verse 1, I read from the NIV because I'm basic. Just stock standard middle of the pack. No, okay, here we go. I'm going to read through the whole thing. It is a bit of a long passage, but we'll get through it, or at least I will. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. It is good. Yeah, it's the word of God. Can't get better than that. I'm only going to make it worse from here by doing my word stuff. So, you know, we may as well just cut it short. Oh, hi, Tom. (laughs) Great to have you with us. (laughs) So that's the passage as it reads. And... We'll go into a a bit of context, which you've probably heard a few of these contextual pieces before, um, especially if you've heard a sermon on this topic before, but they're still no less important, so we'll go through them, and you might learn something new. But Jerusalem, back in the day, was dusty and dirty. That was how it was. The roads were not cobbled or paved although there might have been a few cobbled roads starting to come in because of the Roman occupation, because, you know, Romans love roads. But for the most part, dirt and dust. And if you weren't rich or going on a long journey, then you were on your feet if you wanted to get from A to B. If you're on a long journey, you might take a donkey or a horse or something like that. Or if you were, you know, doing special Messiah symbolism, that could also come into play. And so the disciples and Jesus would have walked everywhere on their own feet, in the dirt, and in the dust, sharing the street with horses and camels and donkeys and horse poo and camel poo and donkey poo. I'm not going to be saying they were wading through poo, but it would have been in the dust and in the dirt. (laughs) So by the end of a day, their feet would have been filthy. Absolutely disgusting. Oh, they, they wore sandals as well, by the way. There are no, no sneakers and no cars that, even though you're halfway stuck in a swamp, you're still slightly dry. Yeah. If they went into that swamp they're up, they're just walking in <laughs> up to their waists, up to their necks, yeah. And so the task of washing feet was not a pleasant one. And we already know this, like, we read the passage, oh yeah, washing feet, it's not great. But, you see, it wasn't just a task that was reserved for, say, a servant, because even then, it was deemed too disgusting and a bit too demeaning. If you had a slave, then maybe you'd get your feet washed, because you could order a slave to do pretty much anything, but if you had a servant, you probably weren't going to ask them, tell them, to wash your feet. And so, for Jesus and his disciples, get this, if the disciples had washed Jesus's feet, that would have been seen as a significant action of love, a significant display of love, because they would not have been expected to do it at all. And these were Jesus' disciples. They probably helped prepare his meals. They helped find him lodging. They probably washed his clothes. All of these things they would have done for him, but they would have never been expected to wash his feet. They would have washed their own feet. Jesus would have washed his feet. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He washes his own feet. And so then when we come to the understanding that Jesus has gotten up from the table and he's taken off the clothing of a rabbi. He's taken off his outer clothing, his outer garments, and he's put on a towel and he brings himself on his knees before the disciples and he washes their feet. And how he would have done it um, is he would have poured, he poured water into the basin first and then he would have put the basin under their feet and he would have poured water from the jug over their feet into the basin and then he would have scrubbed and dried it with the towel that was around him. And so as he did that, the water and the dirt is going from the disciples' feet onto the towel that Jesus is wearing. All of that guck, all of that grime is going onto Jesus. And so this is actually, from my reading and understanding, this is the greatest display of love that Jesus has shown up until this point and it is only exceeded by his death and resurrection on the cross, which happens not too long after. It's crazy. Miracles he's done, wonders he's done, and love he has certainly displayed. But the intimacy and the potency of this action, the disciples would have never seen before. That he would get down, take off the authority and the, the the markers of his station put on the identity of a servant and slave and take their dirt, their filth, onto himself. And indeed, this action is prophetic of the cross to come. Because when Jesus died on the cross for us, even though it said King of the Jews on the little poster up above him, Crucifixions were not the death of kings. Crucifixions were the death of robbers and slaves. And so that was the identity that they hung him upon. And his blood was poured over us, cleaning us. And our iniquity, our filth, was put on his shoulders. And then... In verses 12 to 17, we read, go and do likewise. As I have done, so you should do for your fellows. This is the example that Jesus set. And that's the sermon that I always hear preached. And that's not actually where God led me. I'm telling it to you because it's still extremely relevant to my message and extremely relevant to your lives. But God actually led me, in this passage, to Peter. Because Peter was presented with this act of love, this potent, incredible act of love, and he wanted nothing to do with it. He not only said no, he vehemently refused if we read verses 6 to 8, it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, said the disciple to the rabbi. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And that's, Interesting to me because it reveals my own heart. Because so often we have problems and sins and addictions and strifes and trials and troubles and tribulations and all of those synonymous words. And so often do we struggle to bring them before God. And even more so, or at least in my experience, even more so, to bring it before our family and friends, that they might lift us up, that they might pray with us, that they might advise us and help us and share that burden, which as Christians, as one body and one bride, we are called to do. And indeed, if in verses 12 to 17, Jesus gives a mandate to wash each other's feet, then there is just as much a mandate to be willing to be washed. And not just by God, but by each other, for the purpose of that edification and encouragement and building up of the body of Christ. And it's a tough thing in both circumstances. And so Peter, we come to Peter, and I don't know exactly why he didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. I can only assume. And I have done such assumptions based on the reflections of my own heart, and I have three reasons which I'm going to go through. Three reasons why you, with your own struggles, and I know some of you have struggles because I know you, (laughs) but I don't know everything, and I don't need to know everything. Make no mistake, I'm not accusing anyone tonight of not being full bare open and not sharing every problem from the top of the rooftops. I'm not saying that you need to share your every secret and strife with God would be a good idea. I don't know exactly what you've got going on. But I know that these reasons will hold true for some of you, as they hold true for me. So if anything, what this is, is a reflection of my own heart when I read Peter's refusal. So we'll go to the first reason, which is that Peter could wash his own feet. Because it's true. Peter could wash his own feet. Peter was washing his feet for many a year since he since he got up from his mum and dad trying to wash his feet, and he's like, no, I'm old enough now. I can wash my own feet. I'm a big boy. I'm going to be a fisherman. (laughs) And every day since, he would have been washing his own feet. So maybe Peter was a bit insulted even. Did Jesus not think Peter was capable of washing his own feet? Did Jesus think, oh... Peter's feet are so dirty, he never cleans them right. I guess I'll have to do it this time, show him how it's done. Probably not. I don't know. (laughs) But this is the obstacle of pride, that when we have a problem, and I'll probably use the word problem for the rest of this sermon, and so, again, what I mean by that is kind of two categories. I mean the sins we call, I see that yawn, Tom, (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching you, (laughs) Um, okay, Um, two categories, the sins and addictions and failures of ourselves that come from us is one half of it, when I say problems, and the other half is the circumstances that come against us, be them health, be them finance, be them any uh, familial and relational whatever it is sometimes things are bad because of us sometimes things are just bad full stop all of these we can have we can find ourselves struggling to bring before god and bring before others yeah right so when we get these problems so often we can keep them to ourselves because we believe we are strong enough we can do it in our own strength. And maybe eventually we go to God if we failed two or ten times. But our first response is always, there is the problem, I'm the solution, I have the strength, I have the faith. And so, see, sometimes we even do that. We say, oh, I've got, I'm have got. i faithful enough to get through this on my own, which is kind of a con- contradiction from the get-go, and we don't even tend to realize it. I am capable enough as a Christian to get through this, and even... We trick ourselves into saying, if I can't get through this on my own, then I'm not a capable Christian. If I can't overcome this addiction without asking my friends for help or asking them for prayer, then obviously I've not got a strong enough faith. And so I'll do it on my own because I need to prove to myself and to them and to God that I actually have the faith to stick it through. And going and asking God for more help or asking people for more help is a crutch, and it's a shortcut. How ridiculous. That's the lie. The truth is if we have done any of this on our own, if we overcome any obstacle on our own, in our own strength and power, we have missed the point of Christianity. Because what is Christianity? Christianity is the revelation that we could do none of it on our own that we needed a saviour to come down and to do what? To wash us clean. To repair that rift. And so, we can take that in one hand and then in the other hand, and again, I'm not accusing, I'm revealing my own heart because this is what I do. But in the other hand, we say, okay, let's march along the solo path and let's get it done. When we bring that back to the example of feet and feet washing. Jesus is sitting there offering to wash Peter's feet, and Peter's like, but I can do it. It's so stupid. <laughs> like, and, and when we put it in that very physical example, it can seem so ridiculous, but then when it comes into our own lives, we do it anyway. We do it anyway. And (laughs) sometimes it just takes so long for us to learn that lesson and go, oh, I could actually get on my knees and give this to God. God who is stronger than all and whose grace covers all. The story of our lives is understanding that we aren't strong enough. And that's okay, because that is the place where we find God's strength. We are allowed to not be strong enough. I want to tell you that tonight. For your problems, for whatever you may be going through, or whatever you may go through in the future, you are allowed to not be strong enough, because God is strong. Oh, I'm thinking of a lyric now from a song. It was Yes, that's it. It's a song that it's it's a song or a half song I wrote. I can't remember if I ever finished it. But the bridge goes, you No, no, it was. It was one that we were discussing. It's it goes, You are greater than. You are greater than. Doesn't say what God is greater than, because He is greater than everything. And so when I wrote it, I was just, you are greater than, you are greater than, I will lift my hands, you are greater than, and that's the truth. The second reason, and this is probably, judging by my reading of the passage, this is what I think Peter's mind was at the most. The first problem was a problem of pride, this is a problem of shame, maybe Peter didn't think he was worthy For Jesus to wash his feet. Maybe he didn't think he was good enough, he was worthy enough. From my interpretation of the passage, I think this is what Peter was feeling. Because Peter knew where his feet had been. And I want you to catch this. Peter knew where his feet had been. He knew that they were filthy. And Peter knew who he was. He was just a young man with nothing to his name, no feats to his person, I mean, he had two feats, but he had no F-E-A-T-S feats, uh, no deeds, no, no no accomplishments. English language does me dirty. <laughs> and he knew who Jesus was. Jesus was more than a rabbi, which would have been enough for this to be an awkward situation. He was more than a teacher. He was more than a leader of men. Peter, perhaps more than any other disciple, knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. He had declared it out loud unto his face himself, and Jesus had confirmed it. Who was he for Jesus to wash his feet? Who are we to keep coming back to Jesus with our problems? to ask for forgiveness, and then, when God gives us His forgiveness, to go and do the same thing the very next day. Who are we, when we're in financial strife, to ask our friends for help, to ask our fellow Christians for help, because we will be a burden unto them and we will be a hindrance unto them. Who are we to ask for their time in meditation and prayer or in comforting words? This is the problem of shame. This is how our prob- how our problems and our sins can make us feel, give the help of others. Well, I want to bring you to Jesus in this moment, because if Peter knew who he was, And Peter knew who Jesus was. Then Jesus knew it even more. You see, Peter knew, sorry, Jesus knew where Peter had been. Jesus knew where Peter was going. In a few short hours, Jesus would be arrested and all the disciples would abandon him and flee. And yet, one by one, Jesus got down on his knees, and he washed their feet, and he took their dirt onto himself. And I need you to catch this, because this is God's love for you. This is everything. I don't know which order the disciples' feet were washed, But let's say this, Jesus comes to Thomas, Thomas who would doubt the resurrection of Jesus, who would demand physical proof of his Lord's return, Jesus got down and he washed his feet then Jesus picks up the jug and the basin and he puts them down again. At whose feet does he put them down? He puts them at the feet of Judas. Who in the passage in verse 3, it has already been read to us, it had already entered Judas's mind to betray Jesus and Jesus was fully aware. Jesus knelt down. and he washed Judas's feet he washed the betrayer's feet and then Jesus picks up the basin and the jug and he puts them at Peter's feet Peter who will in a few short hours just a few short hours deny association with Jesus three times Jesus, who Peter declared as Lord and Saviour. Jesus, who Peter said he would go with unto death. He would deny all association with, all knowledge of, three times. Peter didn't even know that yet, but Jesus did. And he washed Peter's feet clean. In Romans 5 8, it says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If our problems and our sins try to tell us that we're not worthy of the redemptive acts and the saving grace of God, we're not. Because it's not about the level of our worth. It's about the level of God's love. The love that covers all unworthiness and, in fact, by the nature of that love makes us worthy. That by the redemptive power of the cross, when God sees us, he sees us through the lens of shed blood and he sees us as pure and righteous. And so when we have these issues and we keep them inside what does that say about how we accept the power of the cross if we say to ourselves i'm not worthy for, like i've done this i've done this things wrong so many times so many times maybe i was worthy to ask god for help the first time, or the second time, or the third time, but then I threw his promise back at his face again and again and again every day that I succumbed to this addiction, or every day that I did it in my own strength, or whatever it is. How can we still be worthy? How, when we ask God to forgive us again, would he pay attention, knowing what we've done, knowing where we've been, knowing our patterns and our failures and the fact that we are habits of sin. We are people with habits of sin. He does it anyway because of the level of his love for you. And so that is a freedom that you can take with you, and I do want you to hold on to so much and take with you. That is a freedom to know that he will always be with you through every fear and doubt. He will be with you through every trial, and his children, your brothers and sisters next to you right now, share that same love for you. Share that same mercy and forgiveness, which brings me to my third point, because the real struggle I have with letting others wash my feet is that they have to see the dirt. And that's a terrifying thing to me. We get so used to all our Christian friends being so perfect and putting on our game faces and having everything together. And maybe we see one or two of the obvious problems and we give them prayer and we give them help and we do this. they do the same for us. But the deep stuff, the dark stuff, It's such a struggle to share it, because we fear what happens when people see the dirt. And what do we fear? Judgment, condemnation, humiliation. That they will recognize that we are not the people we purport to be, that we're not as together as they think we are, that we've got these shames, we've got these pasts, we've got these addictions. And it's, it's terrifying sometimes because it puts us in such a vulnerable position. We could be humiliated. We could be excommunicated, God forbid. You see, for the longest time, since I was old enough to understand what was really going on, I struggled with an addiction to masturbation and an addiction to pornography. And from the get-go, from day one, I knew it was wrong. Day one didn't start with pornography, that came a bit later. But from day one, I knew the pickle I was in. And I tried to get out. And I couldn't. And I tried to try and strive in my own strength and praying to God and and believing in his promises and declaring his freedoms and his victories. And I couldn't get out. But I couldn't tell anyone because I was a pretty decent Christian boy. I wasn't perfect. I'd... No, no one would have expected that of me surely and if i if they saw it well, their entire understanding of me would change i never thought it in as egotistical terms as, as exactly what it was from one christian to the rest and if i couldn't tell my friends i definitely couldn't tell my parents who had raised me Christian, who had raised me right, who had drummed into me the dangers and the pitfalls and the snares, who had warned me and, like, if maybe I could have broke masturbation to them and it would have gone down okay eventually and they would have helped me through it. And, by the way, currently a lot of what I'm saying is from my inner perspective because, of course, they would love me and they would support me. And that's the truth. And that's what I wasn't seeing. And that's what we so often don't see. And that's what I want you to see tonight. Because if I'd have told my parents about pornography, gosh, I would have been dead on the spot right there. That would have been, that was the least of my fears. To let my mum and dad know that I was addicted To pornography. I couldn't do it. And so I struggled on my own. And again, I don't know what you go through, but I can tell that for your fellows right next to you right now, you're thinking no matter what they tell me, what, if they decided to confide anything in me of any degree, I would love them and support them and encourage them and uphold them and get them through it with prayer and, and in the name of God. That's what you're all thinking you would do if, if the person to your left or your right told you something bad was going on. And I believe you. I believe that you would do that for each other. But then when it comes to our own issues and asking for help from others, that belief vanishes. And we come back to the fear of condemnation and humiliation and judgment. Because we don't want them to see the dirt on our feet. Well, eventually, I wisened up enough to tell some people about my addictions. One of the people I told was Tim. And what did he do? He encouraged me. And he reminded me of the promises of God that I knew already and I declared already, but he reminded me again. And he walked with me. And he loved me. And condemnation... Never crossed his lips. And did that fix my addictions instantly? No. There were good... I mean, doing it in my own strength, don't get me wrong. There were good times and there were bad times. Like, it wasn't instant failure. But it wasn't getting me over that line. And then when Tim started to know about it and to help me, there were good times and there were bad times still. But every time, Tim had nothing, and and the other people I told had nothing but compassion and encouragement and love. And they picked me up again. And see, God is sufficient and is everything we need. And so I won't say to any of you that you need to go to friends when you have problems, because God is all-sufficient. That is the technical truth. But the other truth is that God has designed us as one body, as one bride. God has a plan for all creation, John 17, that we would be unified as one. Under God, under heaven, all heaven, all earth, all creation, that we would build each other up when we fall down. We talk about there being another in the fire which is more than anything, a reference to the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and the furnace of Babylon of King Nebuchadnezzar, because they wouldn't worship a false god. Now, I don't know what would have happened, but I can tell you if there was only one of them, it would have been a lot harder for them to come to that decision. If it was just Shadrach on his own and Nebuchadnezzar was like, you better believe in, in my false god or you're going in the fire, Shadrach might have caved. And maybe he did start to falter a little bit. But then Meshach taps him on the shoulder and says, no, you got to remember, our God is greater. And together they would not fall. A chord of three strings is not easily broken. And so I can say, by no strength of my own, but completely by the grace of God, one week ago today, I crossed a year without masturbation or pornography. And part of me says, well, come on. That's only a year, and couldn't you have done that years ago? But I couldn't. And is my journey with these addictions over? Well, I hope so, but I have to be vigilant every day, because that's the truth of life. But I give all praise and glory to God that he's carried me this far. That's That's a line from Amazing Grace, isn't it? that he's carried us thus far, and his grace will carry us home. And so, I know it's a small group tonight, and maybe that's better for this kind of talk. Because, again, we all have issues. I'm not going to make any claims about how dark or deep or dastardly you guys are on the inside, and if you're like hiding super-secretive sins because I don't know, and maybe I'll never know. But I tell you with truth, if you guys have problems that you're dealing with, and again, there are those two categories, if you have problems that you're dealing with, do not deal with them alone. No matter how small, no matter how big, And often it's the bigger ones that we try and hide the most, even though they're the ones we need the help with the most. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are here for you. And sometimes they will hear God when you cannot. And so, maybe tonight, maybe another time, If you've got these problems, or if these problems you get them to, maybe the problems are waiting for tomorrow, do find those friends and have the courage. I encourage you, I implore you, because there is a mandate to be washed. And it's scary. But again, your friends and family, those who stand with you in Christ have nothing but love for you. Nothing but love. And the same love that brought Jesus to the feet of Judas Iscariot with a basin and a towel. I want to leave with just a final encouragement Because in verse 9 to 10, Peter understands that, that Jesus needs to wash his feet. Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And Peter says, okay, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus says, if you have had a bath, you need only to wash your feet. The rest of you is clean. And so the final encouragement I leave with you is that you have been made clean by the cross of Jesus. That is your identity and that is your truth. And when we fall and we stumble, that is not who we are. That is a deviation and Jesus can bring us back. We are already clean, we have been washed by the blood of the Lord and the Lamb and our bodies are clean. But sometimes we still walk in the mud and our feet get dirty. Our body is clean. Your soul, as Brad says, your soul is as saved as it will ever be. But sometimes we walk in the mud and it's for those moments, let's learn as a friend group, as a youth group, as a young adults group, as a church, whether it's coming to me or coming to whoever, please, let's learn together to let each other wash our feet. Because when we rise up and we build up, what becomes what used to be individuals walking with Christ becomes an army for the Lord. And again, no accusations because we already are that army in different steps and in different ways. But what we may be doing in half, I say, let's do in full. There's no people I would rather be doing this journey with. And I've said that before. And if you'll have me, I'll keep doing the journey with you. But let's walk in that vulnerability because vulnerability is love. When you, when you open yourself to that possibility of hurt and you give the other person power over you, that is love. And then they're going to love you back. Because, again, as I've said, that's, that's who we are. And that's all I have. <laughs> But yeah, just that final encouragement that you are clean. You are clean. And sometimes we just got to wash those patches of dirt once again. So we're going to sing again. And if you do want prayer tonight for anything, then I'm here. And the rest of you are here as well. If you want to just grab the person next to you and say, hey, there's something that I need someone to fight with me. I need some backup. Then just grab someone next to you. But pending that, I'll be here and we're going to worship together. Thank you, guys.